Want to welcome everybody back to the Behind the Well show here for episode 139 with Elias Randall. I'm Roger Abel. Eli, how's it going today? Awesome. You know, Couldn't Eli- be better. That's good. That's good. We're finally getting some nice weather here. The wind stopped after three straight days of 35-mile-an-hour winds. I was starting to get depressed from the general like from weather. Wind? Yeah, really? I mean, it's just blowing and blowing and blowing stuff all over my yard. And so you know, get, here's I've been what, trying to get the pool ready, and it's like impossible to get it ready with all the wind. And yeah, here's what the wind. So then I had to, I had to argue with my second grader every day about I don't want to go stand in the wind and wait for the bus. Dad, let's go outside and wait for the bus. It's windy and cold. I don't want to go out there. Dad, why not? Because it's windy. Dad, it's not that windy. Yes, it is. I'm not going to go stand in the wind. So that's been the big poke in my eye the last few days is every morning talking for 15 minutes about why I don't want to stand in the wind. I've got a good one for you. So Megan took the girls out to deliver May baskets. London got blown over in the wind twice. Like legitimately got blown over in the wind. I mean, she's a stout little girl too. I forty-seven mean, pounds. Yeah, she's not like a stick or. She's anything. a forty-seven pound, three and a half year old. Megan weighed her up last night. She got yeah, blown. She got over. blown over, like legitimately blown over in the wind twice. She came home. She goes, "Dad, the wind blew me over." And I go, "Really?" And Megan's like, "Yeah, like completely knocked her off her feet." So that's funny. Uh, those are real things. But this show today is a little bit of a follow up to last week, where we talked about the biggest mistakes that financial advisors had admitted that they'd made. And honestly, this was all set up for one outline. We spent so much time, we didn't get to the second half. But today's show is all about the biggest money mistakes that we see as financial advisors from what what we'll consider wealthy people. So not the ones that, you know, normal everyday people make, but what we consider wealthy people would make. And I think it's, it's interesting because I think there's a lot of people that believe that we're financial advisors. We don't make mistakes with money and wealthy people. They don't make mistakes with money. What we see, everybody at some point is probably going to make some mistake with money. I don't care who you are. And they're right. And there's no, there's no perfect way to do it. Right. Like there's certain things that success, people that are successful with money basically all have in common, but you can, a mistake could even be you're just, you save too much. Now, has anyone ever said, oh, I have too much money in retirement? No, I've never heard that. But maybe sometimes people are sacrificing even just too much lifestyle to to prioritize their savings. Now, typically what happens with money mistakes is people just are not saving enough, but no matter the situation, anyone can find an area to, to fine tune what they're doing. Cause ultimately, you know, no one's perfect. There's no perfect approach to, to anything. I guess I'll start with the first one and okay. And what are we talking? We're talking mistakes from wealthy people. And typically everyone thinks, Oh, they're wealthy. They must have good money habits and be good with money. Um, but, but some of the things we found is There are some people who like they'll tend to pinch pennies and then splurge spend, which that's an easy behavior to understand. Anytime you kind of keep yourself, hold back from doing things you like, it's easy to then, to then go and splurge. And 
I can think of a couple examples of, um, I, I know that there's probably some families we work with that kind of do this. They'll be real good savers and then they'll go out and spend some money and maybe uh, a lot of money too. Well, so here, here's how I look at this. Part of the reason they're wealthy is they're frugal with their money. That doesn't mean that they won't buy nice things. I know a lot of wealthy families that, I mean, they've got their budget locked down. I mean, they know what's going on. Nothing slips through the cracks. But do they want to go have a boat or they have fancy jewelry? Yeah, they do. And that's okay because they have a handle on it. Um, and the reason they can afford those things is they're not letting the pennies slip through the cracks. That's true. You know, but so, I mean... I guess we could look at that as a mistake, but I think that the moral of the story is sometimes you have to give up certain areas, meaning, hey, we need to really pinch a penny, pennies on certain parts of our life so that we can enjoy the nice parts of our life. In fact, it really resonates similarly to the book Jonas wrote about a no-budget lifestyle, where it says, don't scrimp on the things you enjoy in your lifestyle. Find some other way to scrimp. Like if you don't value your house, like you don't really care where you live, you might have a less expensive house, maybe not upkeep it like somebody else would who's really proud of their house, but you may have a boat because that's your passion. You might take extra vacations. So I think that's a fine line to walk as to whether that's actually a mistake where they're just choosing to embrace what they really enjoy in life. Yeah, I, th I think the key, probably key takeaway is just limiting some of the emotional purchases and then and then even if you have a lifestyle the but lifestyle budget kind of defined um just still keeping in mind you know if you really it's important to you to have a boat you should still be realistic about the boat you can't afford right like a boat payment shouldn't put your family in a situation where you can't save money you got to scrimp on other things that well, are you, important you probably shouldn't have a boat payment that would be oh, yeah. the way to buy the boat. <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, the second thing we actually see a lot, and I see this a lot. And in fact, I see this a lot with business owners. They tend to overpay. And what I mean by that is, you know, they don't spend the time looking at the details or let's say there's three choices for some service provider. They just go pick whatever's one's easiest, regardless of what it costs. They don't say, hey, what are the three different service providers? What do they provide and what's the cost? They just go for the easiest out because a lot of business owners are dealing with a lot of money. So all of a sudden, well, it's just 200 bucks. It's just 150 a month. It's 300 a month. Pretty soon, that all adds up to a lot. And it's easy to, to not pay that much attention when there's lots of revenue coming in. It's the same thing with wealthy families. They have a lot of money coming in. They're probably not quite as concerned if they overpaid for something because if they overpaid by 50 or 100 $150. Truth be told, it probably doesn't affect them as much as it would a family who doesn't have quite as much money coming in. So this is actually a really common mistake people make, and they don't even know they're making it. You know, I always talk about the subscriptions that I have. I promise you I'm overpaying for subscriptions and I try once a year to purge them all out. Well, and that's like this overpaying it for, especially a business owner and someone who's got a lot going on. It's also a time factor too. They just, they're one, not going to make time to shop and find the lowest price because all, uh, you know, most business people in business, they think, well, my time's better spent 
finding another deal or servicing my current clients or finding another order that I can fulfill. But yeah, I'm sure this, this is probably one of the most common, just I, overpaying on everyday things or just any dealings that you're in. As everybody's listening to the show, remember, this is what wealthy people that we're not talking about, like someone who has an eight to five job. We're talking about wealthy people and how they overspend. So some of this may not equate to everybody out there. And I'm kind of looking, looking ahead in the outline and th this brings it up. A lot of wealthy people, they don't know where their money's going. This is really common. And, and there's a there's a gal in here named Winnie Sun, and she uh, she's part of the CNBC Financial Advisor Council and works with a lot of high net worth clients in the entertainment industry. And she said that her wealthy clients often say, I just don't get it. I know I make so much money, but I don't have that much money left over to invest or save. And that's a function of they have no idea where it's going. They don't have a budget and it's become lifestyle creep everything that they actually do. Yeah, and that's probably a culmination of a couple of, that's kind of like everything coming together, overpaying, splurging on spending. Um, and it takes, being good with money, it takes a at least a little bit of effort and work to just have a budget. You have to be mindful of it and stick to it and, and then prioritize savings and the things you want to do. So here's the advice I'd give to people, you know, if, if you're a wealth, like if you're really wealthy, you probably don't have to have a budget. I mean, you probably don't, but you should know where your money's going. I mean, that's simple as getting signed up for some online accounting software that you download and says, well, you spent $3,200 at Starbucks this month and you spent 5,000 shopping or whatever the numbers are. And you might just look and say, wow, did I really spend that much money on coffee? Which I'm not bagging on coffee, whatever. I drink Starbucks every day. But they might look at that bill and say, I spent that much at that one restaurant. They just don't have any idea where it's going because they're not making big purchases. Wealthy people, I think a lot of times look at small purchases and like, well, just it's 100 bucks, 150 bucks, it's 80 bucks, it's 300 bucks, no big deal. They're only quantifying big purchases. They're like, well, I didn't buy a boat this month or I didn't buy a new car, but it's all those little items that will absolutely nickel and dime you to death. And that, that doesn't matter if you're wealthy or if you're, you know, just, just a mass affluent or wherever you fall in the income spectrum. Most people nickel and dime their account. They don't destroy their bank accounts on big purchases. They nickel and dime it. And even if you don't, even if you're not going to run a budget, but just knowing where your money's going, just know that you're directing at least systematically money to your short-term, medium-term, and long-term savings. Or if you're making a high income and you, it's as simple as, okay, I make a high income, but I also save 15 to 20% of my income. Like, how are you not going to be successful at some level with your money by doing that? If you just shave it right off the top, you won't miss it. Right. Like you won't miss it. Uh, the next one, this is absolutely true. Most people that are in some level of financial success, they try to keep up with the Joneses. I mean, we've all seen it. Why is it that every person in Hollywood has a $5 million plus house? Yeah. Cause it wouldn't be appropriate for them to have a million. I mean, I guess we're looking at California, 5 million probably doesn't get you a lot, but in general, why, why is it? I'm, I think of people like Johnny Depp, how much money has Johnny Depp spent? Nicholas Cage, they went bankrupt. It was all, they just wanted more exotic things and wanted to have the best of everything. And they just never got out of 
out of that lifestyle. And keeping up with the Joneses, I mean, this is, I think almost anyone can relate to this. Um, even if, you know, even if you're not in the category of being very wealthy, I know for me, not keeping up with the Joneses is one of the best pieces of advice that I ever got as a young person. Um, I got my first job, was working after college, and it's probably just some of, like, I'm a fairly competitive person, so just feeling like, oh, other people have this stuff. I should have this stuff too. But then one of, um, he was a, a role model of mine, someone I've worked for in the past, he he said, you know, really as you go through your career, you should make not keeping up with the Joneses a priority. And this is coming from one of the most successful people I've ever met at that point in my life. So I thought, wow, I was, I was really, I told him, I'm really happy you said that because I think I was a lot, like I, at that time I felt like that was a distraction for me. But when you have someone you respect tell you that it, it was just much easier to then kind of eliminate that from, from my mentality and, and my thinking. And I think over time it's, it has paid off. Now that being said, there's still times I would like to keep up with the Joneses. Like I really want a new nice vehicle this for the last 12 months is something I've been thinking about more and more. Do I need one? No, I don't. The cars we have work great and they run awesome. I just want one. And it's probably, it's maybe not to keep up with the Joneses, but maybe a little bit too, right? Like I want to have a nice car. How many, how many miles are on that one out there? Uh, I think 175 well, in the so ballpark. Yeah, you're, 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 it's not unreasonable yeah. to start thinking about a new one. No, but I don't need it. I easily could put another 100,000 miles on that car. So we'll see what happens. If I'm stuck in my ways or maybe I'll grow up a little bit and go buy myself a nice car. I'm going to give you a piece of advice. If you buy a nice car, yeah, you're only going to have a nice car again. I remember for the, I bought a Audi A4 back in 2009, and I bought it used. I bought it, it was like four years old, had 19,000 miles on it. And once I got it, I'm like, well, now I understand why people like to have like a nice foreign car. You liked it, right? I you like driving it. I had 260,000 miles on that car, and the only reason I got rid of it, it had an oil leak. I mean, I had that was like become our third vehicle, and it had an oil leak, and I was trying to sell my house. And I'm like, I can't deal with this in the driveway. I'm trying to sell the house. So that's the only reason I sold it. It was the the second favorite car I've ever owned. Yeah, and that so that's, the other that's saying something. I, I mean, I drove that thing. wasn't I mean, it wasn't an expensive car. It was a nice car, but it wasn't like insanely expensive. But just the ride and the quality and like all the cool stuff about it, it was it was my favorite car, next to my truck. Yeah. Well, and the other thing, I. Here's going to be the painful thing about having a nice car is I have three little kids at the house. So how long, even if I go buy a brand new car, that's super nice. How long is it going to stay that way? Might when you got kids dropping candy and popcorn and leaving their stuff in there, spilling milk in there. Just buy with a few miles on it. Yeah. Like second owner or something. Yeah, that's I mean, that's probably what I the way that to one. go. I bought that with like 19,000 miles. I mean, it was like new. Some old guy had it out in Colorado. I mean, think about it. The car was four years old, five years old when I bought it. It had 19,000 miles. I mean, no one had ever driven this thing. Yeah, That's the one to look for. This happens a lot. And I think you you just talked about this, but they let their ne- their wants become needs. That's what's happening to me. Yeah. You, you, just, yep. you just said it. You're like, hey, you know, 
I want a car, but pretty soon it's going to become, well, I need a car. I have 170,000 miles. I need to have a new I'm car. I'm on the path to convincing yeah. myself it's yeah. a need. Yep. Yeah. It, nothing's really happened that. yet. Like, well, my car's rust. There, there's a little rust on it, right? Yeah. I saw some. You're like, yeah. it's rusting. I need a new car, even though the rust really isn't going to affect the way it runs. <laughs> This happens to, this is easy. It needs new tires. It needs new tires. I need a new car. We need need new furniture. Every car needs tires. I mean, I just went through this. We've had the same furniture for like 10 years through two kids. Need new furniture. Well, okay, we convinced ourselves we need a new furniture. Our furniture actually is probably okay. But if we're going to get a new new sofa, you get all new stuff. That new furniture is going to look really nice with kids' stuff on there. But your kids are old enough, they're probably not spilling as much we're retiring the milk sofa we actually have nicknamed our sofa the yeah, milk sofa that's because, what it turns you know, into so the the milk sofa is getting retired this year we're getting a new one we have a four-year-old so now you know i can't they're not like spilling drinks anymore and i've gotten got them to the point where we just eat in the kitchen we're not taking stuff to the living room like we have a big breakfast bar that they like to sit around so we're eating the kitchen so we'll see the, the the challenge we're having right now, Elias, is my four-year-old thinks it's really fun to write on stuff. Mm. So she's coloring on the walls and she's coloring on the chairs and some different things. So so you're also going to be due for a, a new paint job at the house too. get all the walls painted, a fresh coat of paint. I know a guy. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you a funny one about, about my oldest, Blakely, and, you know, why – we haven't got new furniture, but uh, we ordered some chairs from Restoration Hardware. So these are pretty expensive chairs. And we come home, and they're kitchen chairs. So there's like 10 of them. Every one of them had a big circle on the back with an orange marker. We would had them like a week. Fortunately, we got the performance fabric. Like, we paid up for the good fabric, and it washed out. But I'm like, yeah. And they weren't white. a good but, feeling. Yeah, th- this happens a lot. People let what they see as a need or what they want and they, they convince themselves that they need to have it. Hey, I need to have a boat and eh, we don't need to have it. We want to have, it, and that's okay. Just make sure you can afford all this stuff. Elias, this is actually a really surprising money mistake that we see with wealthy people. And they actually carry credit card debt. And I, I think there's a level of overconfidence with people that have high net worths and um, incomes. And, they, and, and it's not just credit card debt, it's debt in general. They're much more comfortable carrying debt. And, and I think it's because they have this feeling like I have this high net worth and I have this, you know, the uh, I have income over here and I'd rather just not sell my investments to pay this stuff off because they feel like they can just keep paying for it. And that probably worked okay when interest rates were at zero percent. But now we're clicking eight eight and a half percent on like a home equity line of credits eight and a half percent you look at credit cards 16 to 24 percent it's really hard right now to justify having an investment versus paying off credit card debt credit card debt to me is just an absolute no-no i mean even if you're paying like on the low end if you're paying 16 percent where can you earn 16 percent on your money you Okay. You can't. I'll loan someone money at I'll loan someone money at twelve percent. Depends on who it is. <laughs> well, right, but that the yes. point I'm saying is I would loan money for less than that. So 
Yeah, you're right. You, there's no consistent place you get a 16% return. Like that doesn't exist. Could you get lucky? Sure. But there's not a consistent place. So, I mean, we talk to everybody. Just knock these credit cards out. Some people use the credit card for convenience, right? They want to make, you know, they want to charge on the card over and over and over. And then their plan is, hey, I'll pay this off at the end of the month. Well, you know what happens with that plan? That goes out the window. Something else comes. They don't quite pay it off. They have a $10,000 balance. They pay four. Well, guess what? The next month they put 10 on. Now they're at 16 and they pay four. Now they're at 12. And this vicious cycle just keeps going because they feel like they have more money than they actually do. If you think about what credit actually does, it gives you a false sense of income. Because if your monthly income is 10 grand, if it was 10,000 a month, but you had access to a hundred thousand of credit, you could really spend a hundred and ten thousand, even though your income's ten. So there's this that's false silly. sense of what you can yeah. actually spend, and people that's don't really think about silly. it that way. Yeah, but that's what it is. It's this false sense of hey, I have all this money, I can spend this. No, no, you shouldn't. Yeah, and you certainly shouldn't finance it. You'd be better off just living paycheck to paycheck and not having any debt than you would. You know what I mean? You, you live paycheck to paycheck and then you have all this debt too. Well, no, because you're, you're way better off. With no, you're right. No debt. If you live paycheck to paycheck debt free, that's way better than living, spending the exact same amount of money, but charging it because then you're not living paycheck to paycheck. Think about this. If your expenses were 5,000 every month, but you put 5,000 on the credit card every month and then plan on paying it off. If you have any interest at all, now you actually had spent more money yeah. than what you made. Yeah, so, you're just always towing the line at that point. Yeah, just live the no no credit card life. Like, I'm sure there's business people that have credit cards. There's a certain amount of automatic payments that it's just easier to go on a credit card and knock it out. But if you do that, make sure you have a budget and make sure you have the ability to pay it every month. Otherwise, you're just getting into dangerous territory. So all it takes is one bad month or two bad months. And next thing you know, you're clicking away at 16 or 20%. This is actually a common one. We, we see it. And I don't think this is so much with really ultra wealthy people, but I'd say like mass affluent, high net worth. They're afraid to spend their money. We see this all the time. They think they're going to run out. And one of the things we really like to do with people that are in this category or subset is create this financial plan and give them some confidence that they can go spend money. I mean, how many times has someone who has three or four million bucks walked in here and they said, we asked the question, what do you plan on spending each month in retirement? And they say, $4,000. <laughs> okay, you don't need a financial plan. It's going to work. Yeah. I said, right. but what do you want to do for fun? Well, I'd like to do this vacation, but I'm not sure I can afford it. So that's where sometimes people think, I don't need a financial plan. I'm good financially. You might be but maybe we can provide some context and confidence so that you can go enjoy these things the first 10 years of retirement before you can enjoy them. Yeah. The, the second place I see this is for the young families who are just, you got one person in the family and they're absolute super savers. They, I mean, they wanna save every dollar. They're doing all the right stuff. And the wife is like, or husband, it could be either one. It's like, man, I'd, I'd like to get a new house, like upgrade or something. And the other person's super zoned in on savings. And that's where you go get this financial plan and we can quantify for these individuals how much they need to be saving and how much they can kind of loosen their lifestyle up 
to go get a new house and upgrade it. Yeah, I had a couple in here, and I know this isn't doesn't have anything to do with wealthy people, but I had a couple in here, Elias. This is probably three weeks ago. They're like 42. They got a million three saved, and they want to upgrade their house from a hundred eighty thousand dollar house to two hundred eighty thousand. They only owe one hundred thirty five thousand on this house. That's a hard decision for them. It's a hard decision for them because it's almost paid off. Which is why they have this is why over a million and they're in their 40s. They're kicking butt. 40s, so right. what I did for these this family, I said, hey, look, let, let's go really map out what this does to you financially if you increase your house payment by 800 bucks, I think is what it was going to be. They figured taxes, insurance, they had it all dialed in. Let's really figure out what this does to you long-term financially. And sure enough, didn't have any yeah, effect it's not, on The them. impact's not relevant. You just yeah. have a little bit less money you in, a your, bit less money. in and, your investable assets. In this case, it actually wasn't a situation where they were convincing themselves that their want was a need. They have like three kids and they're like bursting at the seams out of this house. It's like a 11 yeah. or 1200 square foot house and they have three kids and two adults and they just want to get to like a place where everybody has their own bedroom. That's not unreasonable. That, so it wasn't no. like they're like, yeah, we want to move out to the golf course or somewhere fancy. They just literally wanted a place where they all fit. Yeah, and I have a story, too, about this, which this is a new family I've been meeting with. And they've done same thing. Well, they're older. They're transitioning to retirement. So they're not in their 40s. But they've done a great job. They really have nothing to worry about. They have high investable assets, no debt. Well, so they were talking about they think they might have to cut back on their vacations when they retire. So I just started asking some questions. Well, how'd you come to that conclusion? Why do you think that cutting out vacation is something you're going to have to do? And, and, and ultimately a little bit of the answer was they just weren't sure how to make it work financially. And I don't need a financial plan to answer every question out there, but I told them, I said, I don't need a financial plan to answer this but you, there's no reason why you you two should not be taking the vacations you want to take i mean they have if you have a if you have a lot of money saved and no debt that money is saved you should be using that to have some fun in your life and, and enjoy uh you know enjoy enjoy the years that you can so then our next one um not saving enough for retirement this is something you see sometimes you might have high income earners and they're not saving an appropriate appropriate amount of their money. And it's hard to the, the big risk and the issue that they're going to face in the future is replacing lifestyle. Because if you're if you are making a high income and not saving at all, you're really the risk you're going to face is you will have to lower your lifestyle in order to retire or you'll just continue working longer than what you would like to work. Yeah. And I see this a lot with people who own businesses, which they kind of go hand in hand because business owners tend to be, have more cash flow, tend to generate, you know, larger amounts of wealth just due to the function of what they do. But so many business owners overlook this. They think, well, I'm just going to sell my business. I can work forever. So I'll just keep working because they like what they do. Example. Do you think I'm ever going to retire, Elias? We're going to force you to someday. There you go. So. But in my mind, I have this idea that I really like what I do. I don't really want to call it quits. 
So the reality is a lot of guys in my situation aren't preparing for retirement. They're just saying, well, you know, I'm going to work forever. So I don't, I don't need to save a bunch for retirement or I'll sell my business. I'm doing the opposite. I'm preparing as if I'm going to retire at a specific age, which is when my daughter's done with college with the intent of working. Cause who knows? I could get sick. There's all these bad things could happen. So why wouldn't I just prepare for the worst? But most business owners don't think like that. And here's why. If a business owner has an extra $30,000, let's say, that they could put into a retirement plan and they go average 10% a year, let's say, well, that they're going, man, 30 grand to get 3,000 bucks. If I go put 30,000 into my business, I'm probably going to generate an extra 30 to 60,000 of revenue by doing it. Yeah, the problem is, is more true. revenue gets more expenses than they ever put anything away. So then it's all dependent upon what the valuation is of this business at some point in time. So I talk to business owners a lot about this. Let's figure out how to just get you on a good path to retire. It doesn't mean you have to get crazy, right? If, if you had a business owner, you know, making half a million dollars a year, that doesn't mean that we have to get your 401k to 10 million or 12 million. Let's figure out how to get right. you three to $5 million of liquid cash at retirement, which if you're making 500, depending upon your age, should be relatively like attainable. So Maybe. you have a good lifestyle. And then when you sell your business, when you retire, you know, that's all just kind of gravy on top, but let's not just plan on working forever or exit strategy, be sell the business. Cause who knows regulation could change things. The business could fall apart. Just all kinds of bad stuff can happen. And this is super common with business owners. In fact, you went and looked at a lot of business owners and said, Hey, you're 55. How much is in your 401k? Or how much have you saved for retirement? A lot of them are going to say not a lot. That, it's that in the real estate. Common, it's in their, it's yeah, in their real estate. It's in their response. business. Yep. Which that kind of leads into the next one. The next one here is investments aren't diversified, right? So if you're a great example, business owner, successful. Well, you can just diversify your net worth just simply by investing in stocks, investing into the capital markets. Now you're more diversified than you were than you were previously. I'm going to tell you why wealthy people aren't diversified. They built their wealth by a concentration of assets. I and agree. this yeah, doesn't I agree with that. this doesn't work for the mass population. I'm going to give a couple examples. Elon Musk, right? He built that in one stock, concentrated in one stock. Bill Gates built his wealth by being concentrated in one stock. Warren Buffett, the list goes on and on and on. Most people aren't good enough to do that. That's why they have diversified portfolios. But I treat my personal investment philosophy is, you know, my business is revolved around the stock market. So I have retirement assets, but then I try to diversify into different asset classes, real estate, different places where not all my, my world is tied up in the stock market. Most people, their income, the paycheck they get isn't directly derived from stock market performance. Ours is. Yeah. Right. So if all of my retirement assets or my assets for the future in just stock market investments and all of my income his stock market investments, that's a concentrated risk. So anybody who, who has a business should be thinking about how do I diversify away from this business? Not get out of it, but investments that diversify away. So let's say you own a car dealership. Your diversified investments shouldn't be classic cars. 
could be your hobby, but that's not a diverse, you got way to diversify. For yeah. some people, that could be a way to diversify their money, right? They're saying, hey, I've got stocks, I've got cash, I've got a business, I have real estate. Well, I'm gonna go buy art or I'm gonna buy classic cars to keep diversifying. So just keep an eye on how do you diversify your personal situation? And it doesn't always have to be stock market related. And, and this is one, This, the next one, Elias, is for everybody. But people let emotions guide their investment decisions. This is absolutely the worst thing you can do is let your emotions guide how you actually invest. And, and I think the market environment since 2021, to me, confirms that. Um, so what happened in 2021? There was all this greed and excess in the market. It was one of the easiest years for investing. Everything was going up, not only stocks, just all these speculative things. So that, so greed can drive that. And then investing got hard again. And what's really driving a lot of investing decisions now, more fear. People are, people, and it, it's, it, it's understandable too, but people want to own a little bit more, even on the stock equity side of things, people want to own a little more conservative stock portfolio. And now that we see, um, now that interest rates are reasonable, we get a lot of questions. It's amazing how in a bear market, well, and the rates have gone up too. But two years ago, everyone was asking about crypto. Now people are asking about CDs. So it's just funny how the pendulum can swing that quickly over a matter of 12 to 24 months. Yeah, that, that's really good advice. Um, the next one, they don't have- you in an email? Yeah, I was. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I just got totally called out right there. I was totally sending an email. I'm pretty sure everyone will notice. What? I think everyone would notice. Really? I'm just looking at some big research up here. Elias, and, and this is the last one we're going to do for the show, but this is really common and no fault of their own because wealthy people probably have a lot of stuff going on in their life. Like they got to a level of wealth a lot of times because their effort level is higher. They are in the right situation. They own a business, they're professional sports, however they got there. But a lot of times their financial knowledge doesn't keep up with their wealth. And, and what I mean by that is your, as your wealth grows, your tax situation becomes more complicated your investment plan becomes more complicated. Your estate plan becomes more complicated. Everything in your financial life becomes more complicated. Your insurance becomes more complicated. I'm dealing with it right now. Like I've got insurance with a company where they got me with four different companies. I'm like, I don't even know what's going on. So I'm consolidating it to a captive company to get it all under one roof and not it has zero to do with money. It has all to do with, I want one person that knows everything going on so I'm properly insured versus three different people touching this and nobody really working together. I'm trying to simplify and keep my financial knowledge up versus just letting it spiral out of control and get more complicated because if you don't know what's going on, that's how something bad's gonna happen. Oh, what do you mean my car wasn't insured? And I sent you an email about that. I thought it was. I thought it was. Yeah. Well, so I, the reason it made me think about this, I um, I got an email from this insurance agent I'm going to be working with. And she goes, I got a new car. She goes, 
do you have these two cars? I'm like, no, I have these two cars. So my instant thought was when I got this new car, the insurance agent removed the wrong car, which they didn't, but that was my panic. Like, oh, my wife's been driving around with an uninsured car for the last 30 days. That didn't happen, but it was like work for me to go. I don't know who the agent is anymore because they've left this company. It's like the third agent I've had with this company. So I'm like, I got to simplify this because otherwise I'm just letting things go by the wayside. So this happens with people as their assets grow, things get more complicated. They have less time, less resources to dedicate to, to things like that in their life. And it's probably a good argument for delegating that to professionals, right? Whether taxes, your situation, insurance, finances, there's, there's a lot of value that all those different professionals can bring to someone's situation, making it easy, simplifying what you're doing. And I tell the, I tell this to people all the time. Um, even the stuff you worry about, let us worry about it. Delegate, even delegate the worry to us. We'll worry about it. We'll make sure you get it done right. We'll make sure you do the things you need to do to do every year. So I think there's a lot of value to um, now you should know what's going on. Right. Like, and you're kind of taking your own advice and you're such with the insurance. It got to the point where you kind of didn't know what was going on, what's insured, what's not, who's taking care of it. But you solved the problem, consolidated with someone and you're and using a professional to help you. That's what you should do. Well, with that said, I want to thank everybody for listening to the show today. If anybody's looking for help, you can go to btwellshow.com. With that said, Elias, you got anything else to say? No, I'm just typing an email here. See you guys. <laughs> Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPIC. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. All performance referenced is historical and is not a guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Premier Investments of Iowa Incorporated and LPL Financial do not provide tax advice. Please consult your tax professional.